0: Hello and welcome to The Caring View. The online social care chat show exclusive, well, was exclusive to YouTube, is now available on all major platforming, uh, podcasting sites, as well as LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe, hit that subscribe button, tap that bell, give us a follow on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook, and check out our podcast sites, Uh, join up on there, listen to us while you're at the gym or or, or having a run. Um, Before we get started, all the views we express tonight are of our own and not our respective companies, and I think that's about it, apart from I'm going to preface it, that my internet's being a pain tonight, so... I may disappear. I may do a Houdini um, halfway through the show, so I apologise in advance. How are we all? Uh, Mark Giuseppe, we've got Giuseppe uh, joining us tonight as well. I hope you've all had a good platy uh platy Dubes and you've enjoyed it. How are we both?
1: I'm on mute. Clearly, I'm out of practice. No, I'm good. Thank you very much. How are you, Giuseppe? Adam, you okay?
2: I'm, I'm very well, I'm very well. very nice weekend four days amazing uh, actually uh, I really needed it. Uh, so yeah, it was amazing and very happy to be here. Thank you. I oh,
1: know no, was you welcome. for joining us. Now,
2: obviously, we weren't live last
0: week because we had our uh, pre-record special that we've done at the Health Plus Care show in May um, at the London Excel. I mean, what an experience that was, Mark. I think it was great to have that in-person audience for a change. It was nice to be um, sat next to our guests, um, and we're back to the virtual digital world now. Um, but I don't think it's the last, is it? I think we'll,
1: we'll be seeing more in live around the country soon. Yeah, no, we're, we're hopeful that we'll be at the next care care event, so... Yeah, it's just a case of working out what the subject is and who the guests are. And I think what was nice is that we had guests that had appeared on the show, so they knew the format already. Um but yeah, I think the only the only downside is one of our guests couldn't come. They were kind of vetoed by their by their organization. But yeah, getting more people that with lived experience joining us is what Adam and I are keen to, keen to achieve with the caring views. So Yeah.
0: And we do have some news coming in the next uh, sort of three, four weeks. We'll just leave it as a tease for now. Um, But we do have some news coming about the show, um, which is only going to make things bigger and better. In fact, we've got quite a few things coming up um, that we're quite excited about, Mark and I. um, And I'm sure we will fill you in as we go along. And I did promise a a friend of ours that I would give a shout out to a free webinar that's going on on Thursday this week by Kahoot um, around digital marketing. So go on to uh, LinkedIn, try and find Kahoot. Um, and I'm sure you'll be able to sign up to their free webinar on how to market your business online. Uh, so, what are we discussing tonight?
1: Yes. So tonight we are joined by Giuseppe, and we're talking about positive behaviour support. So, good evening, Giuseppe. I don't know if you want to come in and just introduce yourself, where you work, and how you kind of got involved with sure. positive um, behaviour
2: support. I'm I'm Giuseppe. That's that's pretty clear now, everyone. <laughs> And I work as an area service manager for Ahead care and support, uh, mainly for LD and autism, actually exclusively for LD and autism. Um, what we do is um, specialist services for people with learning disability, autism, mental health, uh, homelessness as an organisation. And in the LD directorate, more recently, we um, have embedded, that are still embedding, because uh, I believe it's a work in progress that will never end. to be fair, the positive behaviour support model in order to facilitate people to move out of long-term placement in hospital or secure uh, units, uh, forensic units in the community community. using uh, this model that we will discuss tonight. I've been doing that for uh, slightly under 10 years, I believe, and I started to do it by chance, to be fair, because I come from a clinical psychology background, and I was doing behavioral analysis. So it's been a sort of crossover. When I moved to social care, I brought the behavior with me, and then I developed it into positive behavior, because I value the scientific approach of it, and I believe it when implemented correctly, obviously, it works fantastically.
1: Thank you very much. So, I think answer the elephant in the room for anybody that doesn't know what is positive behavior support.
2: Yeah, um, in um, simple words, positive behavior support is a framework of practices. So. Uh, uh, different ways of doing things uh, um, that is very much person-centered and is in place to provide long-term support to the people mainly with a learning disability on and autism uh, including also people with mental health uh, but uh, to be fair it can be scaled uh, from children to adults and uh, is usually Ad- adopted for people that are likely or have already displayed the behavior of concern or challenging behavior or behaviors that challenge or behavioral distress i believe you might have heard a bit of a mixture of all of these words um, and i think there is still a lot of discussion on what is a challenging behavior and who exactly challenges um, but what we do with positive behavior support basically is to use a mixture of person-centered values um, which basically mainly focus on improving uh, the person' quality of life and behavioral science that basically use a series of data evidence on the behavior to actually understand where this may come from and what is trying to communicate because um, as we may as we may know uh, majority of behavior if not all the behaviors are actually trying to communicate something um, assistance if i'm yawning then i'm probably want to sleep isn't it so every behavior is a form of communication and especially when we talk about L- uh, ld learning disability and autism is quite important this part of the communication because in um, several occasions we have a situation in which all the social Aspect: all the social construct, all the social uh, skills are either lacking, and lacking is a, way I re- is a word I really don't like. But there's a there's a significant struggle from people living with learning disability and autism, often, to actually gather that social context uh, or that um, communication that is uh, sort of between the lines. And this makes the behavior obviously a bit more likely to occur. And these behaviors are in place to communicate something. So um, obviously, what is a, a misconception of positive behavior support is that what it does is uh, fixing people's behavior. Um, that's not what PPS does, actually. Uh, is used to work on behaviours, that's very true, Uh, but I think that's what has become more from an operational point of view, because positive behaviour support actually is concerned in improving and enhancing people's quality of life. Um, It is an intervention that works on the behaviour to understand what is the demand behind it uh, Basically, what is trying to achieve is to give that person the possibility to access a choice, have a, a voice, and uh, especially taking control on the environment around them. So it's a bit broader than the simple behavioral aspect of it. Behavior is quite a significant part, and uh, obviously that's the part that comes from the sciences from the data which is all about understanding uh, where the behavior comes from uh, you might have seen probably if you worked in social care especially in services for disabilities uh, for intellectual disabilities you might have easily found what is called an abc chart which is basically a sort of spreadsheet divided in three columns uh, where you have On the the left side, what happened before the behavior. So um, every event that was happening just before the behavior was taking place, Mm -hmm. if this was an activity, if it was interacting with someone, if this was because there was maybe noise in or there was too much light, too few light. Uh, Then there is the central column, which is basically the behavior. So what has been displayed in terms of behaviors. And you have the consequences of the behavior. So what happened in relation to the person following the behavior? Because one of the elements that is particularly uh, significant is that um, many behaviors actually are reinforced by the way we respond to them. Uh, I'll make you an example. It happens very often that people might try to uh, self-harm in order to communicate some form of discomfort. Um, that happens much of much more often when people might not have uh, verbal skills. Um, Self harm is a form to take control in a way. Uh, it's very sad because obviously it causes them quite significant pain many occasions. What we tend to do uh, sometimes uh, is reinforcing that behavior with our reaction. So it's very much understanding um, what. Has caused that behaviors to prevent from happening rather than intervening on the behavior. Um, before we go a bit more into details, uh, I believe PBS has become uh, particularly significant, especially in the past 10 years following Winterborne Review. Um, Winterborne Review obviously highlighted a, a, lot, a lot, a lot of shortfall of social cares, which uh, were probably some of the darkest chapter of social care in England, I suppose. And uh, what is very good, this um, country at, I really need, I really admire that. and need to recognize is to react to things and make sure that to avoid it up and again. I really appreciate this form of approach, which, although I believe probably preventing it would be even much better. But you know, you need to. Um, you need to know what happened before you know what will happen, isn't it? Um, So obviously, Winterborne Review put a lot of um, attention on the fact that there are a series of people with learning disability and autism who are actually not sick, but are living in hospital. And that's something that I've always found appalling in my my work, honestly, in ten years. I really never made my mind around the fact how it's possible that, I mean, if you're not sick, why are you in hospital at the end of the day in the first place? and the answer is because unfortunately in the community uh, for a very long time until probably 10 years ago uh, there wasn't this um, approach to the to the support of very complex need customers which were experiencing a series of placement breakdown because obviously the strategy in place were not effective. The strategy in place until a while ago were uh, without going into Interpol, because that were probably not strategies at all, I suppose, I hope so, at least. Um, The strategies are generally to treat the behavior uh, as basically as challenging to the person who's observing it, uh, rather than the person who's experiencing it. Um, For a long time has been like that, unfortunately. So the solution, what what was it sedation uh, people have been over medicated for ages uh, people have been kept uh, under um, sedation uh, and I, I can only imagine what traumatic experience could be uh, for you who are already struggling to communicate your needs to be constantly manhandled, and sedated you know i mean that's uh, it, is, it seems that you see in a movie, and actually it happens. It happened very frequently. Um, so I believe there's been much more attention from the Department of Health and Social Care, NHS England, uh, AD, ADAS Care Quality Commission. They all come together and uh, try to find a solution to uh, support people in the community, to have a much more pro- positive and probably a more risk uh, uh, less risk-adverse uh, behavior towards, uh, the support of complex needs. So supporting the community started a bit more significantly around 2013, 2014, I believe, uh, despite a lot, a lot of effort. And to be fair with a lot of success from hospital of over 74%, I believe. So I, I think over there's been a quite a significant. Uh, amount of work that has gone into making sure that people are not treated or actually mistreated, I would say, in hospital uh, but in their home, in their community, we're near to the people that they love, to the people that they know, uh, rather than being placed like 500 miles away in their home, I don't know, some, not, nothing against it, but you know, there's probably there's a better way to do that, there's an easier way as well. And uh, what uh, commissioners and uh, NHS England likes a lot um, more much more cost effective way to do that. However, despite the strong effort, uh, um, uh, right now, f- about 50% of the hospital uh, beds are actually occupied by people with autism. And this actually there's been an increase of 3% year on year since 2016 which has made positive behaviour support much more um, an urgency right now. Because if we consider that the main reason for hospitalisation has been uh, the breakdown of community placement, 50% of those people now in hospital were actually living in their own homes, but something didn't go right, something didn't go to plan, Uh, either the family might have not been able to uh, work with the person or uh, Maybe professionals were not uh, equipped to actually address the person's needs. It led to placement breakdown and this has become particularly more significant in the past um, probably six five six years um, Positive behavior support has proven to be effective in uh, to reduce behavior in seventy five percent of adult 20 to 29, and 60% of adults age 30 plus. Obviously, the older you get, the less likely you are to modify some sort of uh, acquired behavior. Most of the behaviors uh, that actually lead people to hospitalization are stemming from uh, their trauma that they might experience during their own life. So this is why it's very important um the data aspect of it the component aspect of it not because we want to um you know get as many information from the person as possible uh, for a form of I don't know compliance or whatnot it's really important that you are aware of their story who they are as a person, uh, what they've been doing how they've been doing it and uh, this is a process that um, is actually the trigger for positive behavior support. When you want to work with somebody um, who might have expressed behaviors of concern, I like much more behavior of concern because actually I might be concerned of your condition rather than I might be challenged by what you are doing. I I think language is generative, so it's very important to use uh, words that are not offensive in a way. because I find challenging offensive. I don't know if it's me. Maybe it's my um, misunderstanding of the word challenging, but I just 't like it. I was so sorry. <laughs> um, so obviously um, you need to work with the person first of all to build um, a relationship of trust. That is one of the most important thing. Uh, we need to understand that very often the people that we work with in uh, LD and autism have been through children's services, then they've been through hospital placement, then they've been probably through one or two community placements that have broken down. Uh, and then finally, they reached either Look Ahead or other providers that are able to actually have the infrastructure in place to implement uh, PBS or to do this multidisciplinary work. And obviously, they come with a significant baggage already of traumas, of uh, concerns, uh, of um, mistrust in many uh, situations. So what you firstly need to do is to build that relationship of trust. Uh, The assessment process is particularly demanding uh, because it goes through... Um, interacting with all the stakeholders which is beautiful and it's what honestly social care should aim to become to um, a very inclusive approach of everybody involved uh, in in the person care at the end of the day it should really be like that that is one of the first obstacles that you find in introducing the positive behavior support um, you need to have a tariff communication assessment, you need to have uh, a psychological involvement, you need to have family involvement, you need to have the person, first of all, if possible, when possible, to actually tell you where they can actually do great, where they have a bit of a struggle and may need your help, and when they actually need you to do for them because it's just too much. Um and this is the basis on which you work. Then you start to establish the function of the behavior, existence. Um, if I am, uh, I make an example that actually happened, it has happened to me, if you have somebody that keeps punching or headbutting uh, the light switch, right? Um, you might start to wonder the, the function of the behavior. Why is he doing that? So it, you might have to investigate maybe the sensory um aspect to it Um, because in many occasions as you may be aware people with uh, living with autism uh, uh, may have a different sensory um overload than me and you so sometimes noise lights uh, might be experienced in a very different uh way Uh, and this needs to be taken into account so you need to make sure you are aware of their sensory need You need to make sure that with the functional assessment, you understand whether their behavior is to avoid something or to access something. Uh, In many cases, it's actually access, I found out personally, at least with my direct experience. Um, And then there is all uh, the part in relation to communication, which involves both professionals and obviously families um, and the client themselves. uh, once you've established the function of the main behaviours, you start to work with the person on how to mitigate those occurrences. I'll make a very simple example. If somebody is bothered by how bright is the light, you may think to about installing uh, um, dimmers, so they can have access to the light, they can control the stimulus in the environment, and still they can just tune it down if they feel is overwhelming, or they tune it up if the feeling is, is too low. And this is actually facilitated right now by some uh, smart house technology for people that might be a bit less able uh, um, physically. Um, so obviously, it's not just about managing the person's behavior. It's very much working on the environment to make it easier for that. You might have heard probably about the social model of um, care. Uh, which is opposite to the medical model. In the medical model, we assume that the person has some form of deficit, that has some sort of uh, thing that is not quite yet there, you know. Uh, Whilst uh, when we talk about the social model, we understand and I really appreciate that because in um, my little direct experience, in some occasion I might struggle, like probably all of us, you know, we might struggle with little things in life. So, uh, think these multiplied by 200 when we talk about autism, right? Things like catching a train, um, taking a bus, uh, talking with somebody, a stranger, might be one of the most overwhelming things you may think of uh, for somebody with autism. So obviously, we need to understand that probably it's not the person in itself. It's more the environment that causes a series of um, behavior, a series of meltdown, a series of concern. It's the way that society is structured, has evolved, that put people in a position of experiencing. um, Obviously, they have already um, their own um, um, challenges and their own difficulties and their own uh, struggles. But at the end of the day, society actually makes it worse at the end of the day. So what you need to really make sure is to work on the environment with the person. Make sure that it's comfortable for them, that is built around them. And I'm talking of something simple as the colors of the wallpaper, maybe, uh, of something a bit more elaborated as uh, sensory equipment that you need in place for the person, as uh, might be for relaxing, might be for uh, um, uh, stimulation. That's the main aspect working on the environment. So obviously, it needs to involve OT. It needs to involve speech and language, um, and that obviously is uh, it, it. It's uh, it's a challenge for providers that are maybe small providers, or they may not have those resources in houses. Because uh, in my direct experience, at least, there are very few local authorities that work with you uh, on uh, developing. The framework and the approach. There are some beautiful ones out there, honestly, and uh, every day I hear more and more practices that are brilliant, which is very reassuring, honestly, for um, the PBS uh, community. But it's not so widespread, unfortunately. And uh, as a result, people are still living in hospital. So when you work on PBS, you create this plan with the person, and then it's about um, understanding uh, um, the things that they might want to achieve and facilitate to them. is all about creating opportunity, creating a system of um, facilitating access to activities. So, what we do as instance, we work in partnership uh, with a team, uh, at least in Hertfordshire, in one of the regions where we operate, there is an extraordinary specialist team work with us in uh, developing PBS uh, framework, they do reflective practices with us um, quite regularly. Uh, it's basically the same models that uh, we have applied through build that continues um, in, pra- in our practices, basically. Um, what uh, what happen often is that when you don't have this network of professional or a community of professionals that actually work on the framework, there is a lot of misunderstanding of how this is applied. Instead of working on achieving outcome, people working on managing the behavior. And uh, there are some occasions in which um, um, having access to a, this specific level of knowledge, and this is a concern I've had uh, through the years, to be honest makes a bit more likely that um, instead of understanding the underlying cause of the behavior and preventing it, um, it's much more easier in a way, especially for frontline staff that is always overworked and overtired, that probably has done, I don't know, 68 hours this week, and hasn't had a weekend off in a month, and that's problem at home. It's much more easier to go into the reactive strategies. So somehow when it's not implemented in um, in a way that creates the entire framework in which you have the environment and then you have the communication in place because um, that's the main aspect of it and then you have a series of primary strategies which are in place to create um, access and uh, opportunities for the best so i'll make an example uh, because it seems very much abstract like, like that but in practice is it is very, I cannot say simple, but it's very immediate to understand in practice. Um, we had um, a client that's been with us for about two years now, I believe. I've worked with her for the past three year and a half from assessment to transition to actual placement. Um, there's been a long, long, long uh, uh, problem in relation to snacking. And it was also related to uh, health conditions, obviously, um, uh, that were made worse by a specific type of snacking. So we agreed with the person, because this person has good capacity, actually, uh, that we might have decided for two snacks a day, which one is very healthy, and another one is the one you like, actually. Whichever it is, honestly, I really I don't have a, any specific preferences. Whatever the customer prefers, that's fine. So one the only objective is one is healthy, one is your favorite. Just simple as that. Um, in, pra- in, in, in theory, this would have resolved the issue very easily. No, not even by chance, actually. Uh, the demand was keep being there. Which is absolutely, which is absolutely fine, um, but we were not able to understand that the problem actually was not the snack in itself, was the access to it, because what what we observed is that what was happening is stuff takes the snack and give it to you, that's not good enough you need to have access to it. You need to have control to it because you are in your house. You are, you, you know, um, I keep insisting many times uh, that they they might live with autism, but they are very clever as me and you, actually, at the end of the day. You know, as you want to make your own toast, uh, then it's probably very much the same, isn't it? I suppose. Sorry,
0: just listening to what you're saying Then I think it comes down to shared decision-making, doesn't it? It comes yes. down to being able to share that decision in and, yes. and I'm my background's elderly care. So I've I've never worked in, in LD care. Um so I mean my my first thoughts are is, is this applicable to just LD or can we use it in elderly care? Because shared I, decision making is a is a process we, we apply in all aspects of care. Um so a lot of this resonates to me. Um, I've just never heard of PBS uh, being used in elderly care. Maybe I'm mistaken.
2: Uh, I I believe it is used. It is used in elderly care generally of people that have uh, had some learning uh, disability generally, I believe. And like you, I don't really know that many examples, to be fair. There is a lot of research, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I don't know any provider who actually does it personally. I've never come across uh, any of those. Um, what, what I believe is that since it, It is applied um, to children. It is applied to learning disability and autism. I think it has a lot of scope to be applied with young people because at the end of the day, it's trauma-informed care. It's just very much that. That tap into the behavioral sciences and the data. uh, Because at the end of the day, guys, uh, I know that science sometimes is seen in that medical way it's kind of scary. I get that, and to be honest, I'm—I mean, I come from Italy. We we started the anti-psychiatrist movement and the anti-mental um, health hospital movement in Italy. At the end of the day, so it's a, it's a topic that is very close to me. I really believe that um, science, uh, from a social point of view, psychological point of view, gives you that understanding to actually um being able to get into that contact with the person when they're not able to, to to tell them for themselves honestly i really believe that that is the very the real power of pbs it's very it's very much misunderstood that is about managing behavioral concern it's not It's creating an environment that responds to your needs creating the opportunity for you to access your own activities as as you would expect everyone doing that um assistance the, the the snack box that i was telling you um what we did is since um this person actually can can do the things by themselves most of the things by themselves very very easily uh, we decided to create a system with uh, um with cards basically so when you remove the cards you have a box with uh, i don't know 14 20 different cards of snacks. Uh, that's because obviously there are some communication difficulties. I should have specified that, I believe. Sorry. <laughs> uh, she can't really tell you directly what she wants. So she needs to show you and whatnot. Uh, you create this box with cards. And then uh, they, th- those are eliminated at every snack. So the person can actually plan when they really want to have something, how they want to have it, and have it for themselves. So they know that if they add the Cadbury bar today, the Cadbury bar is gone. It's not there anymore until next week because nobody's going to do the shopping anyway. <clears throat> so that gives them that control, helps them still to be healthy because the ultimate goal is that they are healthy. They have a choice, they still have all the snacks that they want because, you know, why not at the end of the day? Um, So it's very much enabling those. I have um, clients that have difficulties in um, assistance to hold uh, the kettle. So what you do is to working again on the environment and finding maybe um, a kettle that only tilt so they can still make their own drink themselves. And this is providing access. And obviously what you would have noticed before is that you were bringing them a cup of tea and they were throwing the cup of tea and you, and then you say, oh, But, you know, uh, Mrs. Jane is really challenging with me today. Maybe she just wanted to make a cup of tea, basically, just simple as that, you know. Um, So it is making people uh, in control of their environment when they are not automatically able to tell you how they want it. So the way you discover that they want it is an iterative process that involves uh, basically an infinite number of professional, if you want, to be honest, and an infinite number of people who know the person, which might be their family, their friends. Uh, um, we really tend to involve a bit everyone, honestly, because I believe everyone can have a good view about something at the end of the day. The best strategies sometimes that come from people that don't actually work in the service in many occasions, to be fair. Um, and this, to create them these opportunities. Uh, so also when you want to introduce an activities, we've been working with a gentleman that has been institutionalized for 17 years in um, in um, how is it called in segregation. So uh, really heartbreaking actually. Um, so in, in, in this type of unit, unfortunately, what happened is that you become very dependent for each and every needs that you have, um, which is uh, is something that takes that sense of agency out of you. So obviously, what, what we needed to work a lot with is before, well, first of all, obviously reducing the behavior, reducing the incident, and if you understand what strategies might help you when... There is maybe some escalation, uh, some um, um, some increased level of arousal, maybe that can help you to support the person to be at their baseline, emotional baseline, because at the end of the day, my my point and I believe the scientific point as well on PBS is that a person that is basically screaming, shouting or kicking the wall or uh, attacking somebody must not be in a very good frame of mind. So maybe you know they're the first one who are not really having a good time during that experience of, of the behavior at the end of the day so you work actively um on finding strategies which might be maybe uh, trying to redirect them to an in to an activities of interest which may be having some time by themselves which, which may be some sensory stimulation because in general uh, very often it's a form of expressing anxiety, the, ex- the the behavior that you observe. So obviously, if you're able to manage that level of anxiety, what we find it, it depends from person to person, to be honest. Or if you do this PBS work for years, the framework remains the same, but anytime that you have a new client, then um, that's completely a new assessment with new strategies and new. Uh, it's always new at the end of the day, although there is a lot you can generalize in terms of um, process, you cannot really generalize the actual items that's really impossible actually you need to do that with the person necessarily uh, so if I know existence that you find soothing um, I don't know drawing maybe I know that when you're starting to feel luncheon because maybe I don't know there is a frontline staff on duty that you are not comfortable with maybe some an agency that you haven't seen before so that makes you feel anxious you can propose to the person an activities that will relax them and will make them feel a bit more comfortable in their sort of comfort zone it's all about reading the subtext for them basically and making sure that you intervene on the environment so uh, they can be safe basically because at the end of the day most of our job is to make sure that people are safe. <laughs> and, then, and when they are uh, when they are uh, um, when they are expressing uh, discomfort, uh, probably the risk are not the risk that they're not safe is is there, uh, which may be self harm or might be simply uh, uh, a placement breakdown is still something that is not in their best interest at the end of the day. So this type of approach is very important because allows you to reduce restriction, which is something um, I really look forward to any placement that we start usually you, when you start with a very um, challenging placement actually uh, you have a series of measures in place through dolls, through court of protection in relation generally to the kitchen um to sharp uh, knives, you know, some cupboards are locked, medication, these sort of things, because obviously somebody can kill themselves. It's particularly risky compared to other things where you take a risk. And generally, if you apply the model appropriately, so working on preventative strategies where you understand the likes and the strength of the person and build on that, Uh, As I was saying, the sample before of the gentleman, he wanted to learn how to make pizza. Uh, And he apparently had this dream for, I don't know, many years. Nobody really knew, honestly. Uh, So you start from uh, trying to find a way that the activity can be accessible for them. Because obviously, make a pizza from scratch to somebody that is used to work by routine and by consistency... It's a very anxious task, isn't it? It, You don't know where it starts. You don't know where it finishes. What should I do? So it's about breaking it down, very simple steps. And usually a strategy that I found very useful is to start backwards. You start from the last step. So if the uh, the task is to make pizza, maybe you assist the person in all the steps towards the last and then they put themselves in the oven. Uh, this is because if they do the last bit, then the remove is much quicker. So they put the pizza in the oven. The pizza is ready. I the pizza. I made the pizza. And then you build backwards from that. Then you go to put the mozzarella. Then you go to put the tomato, pepperoni, whatever you put on your pizza. Um, so this is the core of PBS. It's really not responding to behavior. The core is the primary strategy. It should be, if, if you had a PBS plan, Uh, That was 10 pages. Primary strategies should be five, honestly. Uh, Then you move into the, and when you have embedded these strategies quite significantly, and uh, secondary strategies are to uh, intervene immediately when that level of arousal, of anxiety is starting to present. Because obviously, once you work a lot with a person and you observe their behavior, their communication, you will be able to capture subtle signs things that are not going uh, as they should be um, sometimes in the facial expression sometimes is a mannerism sometimes is a something that they say uh, you can tell assistance uh, you can work with clients instead of lashing out uh, to tell you that when they are having a bit too much they're overwhelmed of talking to somebody they can just say goodbye and uh, that's strategies that might work assistance so you have these are strategies that still make sure that the person is in control that they learn to put in in place and it's basically an alternative of throwing a coffee cup at you at the end of the day Um, or even worse because let's let's face it we as a professional are kind of trained to deal with it the person that bangs their head in the wall i'm not sure how much is aware of the 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 pain is causing to them and the damage that that may lead to at the end of the day uh, so that's the most significant part of, the end of the day. Obviously, just interrupting
1: quickly i think it's really good that you i've i've written down some questions as you've been kind of talking and i think it's it's good to note that you've spoken about kind of behaviours and bits and pieces because i think quite often you know, you support somebody that might be swearing a lot or shouting, and it's seen as a behaviour. But actually, we all shout if we're angry. We all swear from time to time. And actually, that's not necessarily a behaviour. I oh, know. I had a question around, you said it was a non-punishment approach, which I fully support. Um, Absolutely. From, from historically, you know, my background is a lot of learning disabilities. When I was kind of first into social care, we saw people having activities taken away from them or snacks taken away from them as kind of the punishment mm. of the behaviour. What would you say are the benefits of using
2: PBS and it not being a punishment-based approach? Um, as I was saying, when you have this form of more than punishment, retaliation in many occasions, uh, which is probably a bit more mean than punishment somehow. Uh, I believe you still create that sort of loop that was the trauma in the first place. Uh, so obviously, um, besides the fact that that didn't work, when you implement instead PBS, where the measure is in, is the person being in charge of it, um, rather than... Uh, I, I you, you still come across a lot of people that think um, that assistance, things like timeouts use... Then becomes like a punishment, which they are not. They are more for the person to vent out, to kind of calm down. But what what usually happen uh, with PBS is that more than um, retaliating or removing things, removing activities, it, well, that may happen. But that should be already when the behavior has escalated up to that. Um, And that is generally to keep the person safe. If you consider that you work on preventing, so working on the environment, you don't end up in a situation of having to remove the activities because it's all uh, sort of pre-assessed by and with the person in a way. Uh, So um, often what we do is to have timetables with um, Velcro thing, now probably they are becoming digital, obviously, but still, we had uh, boards with Velcro thing. Now we don't have Velcro anymore. We have uh, the, the phone. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, where the client themselves can move stuff around. Um, so they still have their routine, but it's actually in their own control. Uh, it prevents behavior. Um, the real problem that I believe... Um the real problem I believe that happens is the misunderstanding of stuff of how the strategies are used. And it's very common. It was uh, what I was referring before about the reactive strategies that when you train people in reactive strategies, then it's kind of likely that they will use those. And it's very concerning from many points of view. The simplest might be um oh, you throw your pen at me, I'll take your pen away and that's uh, that's retaliation basically um and it can go as far as um restraining uh, unlawfully restraining somebody honestly uh passing through chemical restraint um, which people still don't seem to consider as serious as physical restraint and i'm really not sure why to be honest um,
1: Talking of yeah, talking of um, chemical restraint, it was one of the questions that I, um, I've i written down. Um, so I've, I've managed a lot of services where people have been over-medicated, whether that's on a regular medication or whether that's a PRM basis, so as and when. Um, what would you say is the best way, if you're supporting somebody new into the service or you're new to them, to reduce over-reliance on medication that's sedating somebody whilst managing any kind of behavior that is seen to challenge
2: okay there are occasions unfortunately in which although we advocate for a complete removal of prn um, medication to manage behaviors they might still be needed and those are occasions in which the person puts themselves at risk honestly so the famous banging the head in the wall might be something that may obviously after all strategies fail there may be something that leads to the prn medication the way the best way to reduce prn administered for this uh, purpose first of all is to establish the function of the behavior because there might be probably something that you can introduce or remove from the environment or from um, and sometimes it is very much like that it's not only the environment it's also the relationship so maybe it's also having to remove or to introduce somebody around you that can help you by being there or by not being there. Um I've noticed in more than one occasion, hundreds of occasions to be honest, uh, that some specific stuff may actually be not voluntarily. No, I'm not saying that they are bad people, not at all. <laughs> uh, but for some reason customer might not like them or might find them difficult to interact with. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe their accent. Uh, maybe, maybe um, I have assistance, one client that has problem with people with long hair. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, you can be a, the loveliest person if you have long hair. it he, he, he just gets anxious for some reason. That, And obviously, you need to find the reason behind that. So the best way to reduce the medication is, first of all, working with clinician to find... Uh, um, good strategies, generally good uh, um, um, eating uh, habits, good uh, level of activities already by themselves reduce this um, the, the the likelihood of um, uh, needing PRN medication to manage behavior. Because somehow I believe underlying there is um, um, also boredom caused. Behaviors of concern very often. So, people not being engaged, people not being, um, uh, people not making their day meaningful. So, you need to make the people engaged. You need to make sure that the person uh, is actually supported in what they want to um, achieve or do and working with clinicians to the reduction of the medication. Then, you need to exclude physical. uh, symptoms, because that might be also an aspect that comes into play. Uh, For a long time, we worked with a client uh, and uh, honestly come to a point that you cannot really exclude the pain route. Uh, I know right now there are very interesting stuff out there to establish pain. Uh, I never really tried them, but I'm sure that there are, and they're probably very good. Um, But then, yes, we found out that actually... um, if you also works on uh, um addressing physical uh, physical pain that's another element that brings down the level of medication but more than anything what i think and we had this we went from october 2020 we administered 11 uh, lorazepam in a month i was shocked honestly i i mean i was like what's going on here uh to last time that we used the one uh, with this person was February and now we are in June uh, it's very much creating the relationship uh, uh, addressing the communication but to at like you you I mean down to the exact word that you need to use to make it work because um, that level of uh, that level of um, predictability is very important that needs to be there. So, I think, I
0: mean, sorry, and I just want to to clarify to to people who are watching this that and I I don't want to put words in your mouth, Giuseppe, but we don't believe in um, unnecessary chemical restraint. You know, there is no place for, for unnecessary chemical restraint. We've got to understand that certain medications are required at, at times um, <laughs> and, and things have to be, you know, um, thought through thoroughly. I and mean, we don't want the history repeating itself. Obviously, Carl um, is in our in our chat at the moment uh, mentioning this. Yeah. And I think there is a worry, especially during the pandemic, that, you know, sort of cash practices are coming back into place. And I think when people were isolated for so long from families yeah. and it was causing agitation, that medication was the go-to, which is obviously something we don't want um i believe uh, that you're working in collaboration with the institute of um, learning disabilities um and i just want to know what the benefits are um by doing that and and how can other people get involved you know how can other people passionate about um supporting people with learning disabilities and a a proper way of working how can they get involved
2: yes the best way to get involved with build is uh, funny enough is by contacting build they're very very keen to engage with provider of every size of every uh, life honestly and very much like me and probably like you they support uh, uh, placement in the community free from restraint free from any sort of deprivation of liberty Um, what they are very beneficial with is first of all they can provide a framework that starts from the foundational level of training so for people to understand um, how this works because you know We cannot assume everybody knows what PBS is at the end of the day. Um, That's a training that is very, very useful. They also have some very good resources on the website, actually, I believe. Um, It's not the most beautiful website, but yeah, (laughs) still, it's very useful. Um, Then they can uh, provide you with practitioner coaching uh, and um, reflective practice uh, for the organization. But the real... uh, and most important uh, aspect of working with build, I believe. And somehow, uh, many of the enlightened providers that are out there that are trying to implement positive behavior support is to give you that framework that involves the entire organization. Uh, so it doesn't stop in operation. It's basically work that is done with directors, with head of operations, uh, with um, um, regional manager, like could be me. Uh, and then, with the actual services in the in the in the community. Um, so that's probably the main important thing, because actually, if you don't get the entire uh, uh, organization on board in terms of culture of implementing the PBS, then you will really miss that opportunity to understand that it's about choice of life. Uh, empowerment and con- and controlling the environment in a way that is suitable to the person who lives in it at the end of the day.
1: Just, uh, a, just Just interrupting you quickly there. So I've got experience of obviously introducing PBS into, and I know that like you said, you can have a lot of resistance, especially from frontline staff, especially if they've been kind of shown to, like we spoke about earlier, like cancel activities or cancel bits and pieces going on. And that's kind of like what's being used, what would your recommendations be to try and get your team on board with PBS, especially if they kind of see it as allow it, using it from experience of allowing someone to get away with doing a negative behaviour? Because that's tends to be what the care staff see the PBS as, because obviously yes. it is miscommunicated. What would be your biggest bit of advice for the managers? Uh,
2: the biggest bit of advice that I have is probably what I've done in uh, each service when I maybe take over from another manager or another provider or a, you know another situation, is to change the narrative. Uh, because as you said, very often is the way the staff say it. Uh, and the way you say it is the way you see it at the end of the day. So if you start changing that narrative, instead of saying existence, um, um, just recently I went into a service to do a bit of a functional assessment and the review of their PBS plan because apparently the strategies were not working. Uh, I would say that many occasions is the people not really using it appropriately or in the right moment. Because obviously if you do something as soon as that works, if you do something 20 minutes after, then maybe it's a bit late, isn't it? You should have thought about it before. <laughs> um, and obviously this is often what leads to um medication and over medication which by the way i am myself pretty much against i, I, th- I think i mentioned that i'm very much against uh, any form of medication of disability in general because that's not being sick it has nothing to do with being sick and medication is for when you're sick just simple as that um just wanted to clarify this little point just you know Maybe I might have misexpressed myself, but yeah, no, um, we don't administer medication, and uh, obviously, as you said, CQC check those, and uh, yeah, they are kept usually under key, and yeah, there's a very long process with that. You cannot get that wrong, otherwise your registration goes. So it's very important, honestly, <laughs> and I believe for a good reason to be fair, so it's very much getting those strategies right on time, on point. Is that communication? And since it's that communication, you need to change the narrative. I went across to this uh, positive behavior support plan, which was very tariff, very, very detailed. But it was just all about the challenging behaviors and what you do to address uh, when they pull their hair and what you do to address when they throw a drink and what you do. And, you know, I was like, very much, yeah, okay very tariff strategies but where is the person in this plan where 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 i mean if if i change jack or john on the top of this plan then basically i can use it with everyone isn't it and that's not very much it so it's creating that narrative for which you are an enabler for which you are there to make the word a little less complicated. There is a beautiful book that I generally suggest to to my staff. I'm not sure whether they read it or not, uh, which is the reason I jump. I, I believe that's the title, or uh, I paraphrase the title, but I think it's the reason I jump. Uh, let me just double check. Yes, the reason I jump. Yes, the reason. I jump. It's beautiful because it it finally shows shows you. Um, it shows you how difficult it is to interface with life um, in in the community as we experience it every day. Because let's face it, we want to uh, make a placement in the community work. But we are not very much doing any work with the community, are we? So that doesn't really work at the end of the day. And if people don't understand, if people don't realize how it is to wear your shoes, they cannot really appreciate how difficult it is for you to make a cup of tea, you know. So very much is to frame that type of narrative for which you are an enabler. You are there to create a way for things to happen, to facilitate those things to happen. And it's not very much about the behavior, actually. It's very much about supporting the person in being so comfortable that they will not need to record to the behavior. Just simple as that. Because if I can just tell you, uh, Mark, my head is hurting right now. Uh, you know, you understand, and then you can say, t- "Oh, may- take uh, paracetamol." I don't know, whatever um, you you do when you have a headache. Uh, if I if I don't have those words to express, then I will start to bang on the table, isn't it? And it's it's up to you to understand that is my head hurting. So I really need to have that dialogue with about the person with the person where the person is. um, It's very important. It's really, really important. So positive behaviors is actually the answer that puts together a lot of data, a lot of assessment, a lot of information, and uh, very much enables the person to be comfortable and safe. That is the way I try to frame it to stuff, if they see and if they experience how it is for the person that they support, then that empathy kicks. Well, if it doesn't kick in, then they're doing the wrong job, honestly, that's what I think.
0: And that sort of resonates with me
2: when, um, obviously,
0: I used to work in in elderly dementia settings, and we would have um, sort of baselines of what people's um, normal responses are, what their normal sort of um, expressions are. We used to use um, like a pain lab tool so we could identify when people are in pain and they couldn't verbalise it. You know, they couldn't say it verbally. Uh, someone um, who might have a UTI, a urinary tract infection, might express something like fire or burning, but not actually be able to say what it is when it's happening. And it's about understanding and, and noticing these differences in people's behaviour um, as we go on. I mean, oh, we're half past eight now. You know, I, I wish Giuseppe would found someone who understood what the PBS was. I mean,
2: you you are
0: like a god on PBS. I've learned no, so not much really,
2: actually. I, <laughs> am, uh, I like to say that I'm uh, passionate about I'm a big fan of it. Um, I believe there are uh, uh, experts, way more experts than me, which are the one probably I admire and I learn from and I follow, you know, uh, like all of us in terms of our mentors and our... Uh, but yeah, it's a very complex framework. So I hope I was able to make it as simple as possible, although that's very hard, I'm afraid. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, um... no, and, and like like always when we have these conversations, it always opens up conversations and other matters and other topics, yes. and you know, it's, it's trying to understand that just because we talk about one thing, it doesn't mean that we agree or endorse something else. It's just oh. trying to have a look at everything's integral, uh, in, individual components and how it all fits together into a into a bigger model and we are moving forward now we are hopefully trying to get to a better way of providing care and support for people um and mark i love that stomp initiative um i've put a link in uh, the chat for the stomp initiative around you know stopping unnecessary medications um mark have you got anything before we disappear because obviously i know you've got um, experience with this
1: yeah no the the only thing i i was going to raise um that giuseppe was talking about is around when he was talking about life History of the person and having people that know them, that is so crucial. And I think as well for care providers, people with a learning disability autism seem to move around different care providers all the time. And it's taking into account, you know, all of that history that they come with, all of that baggage. And actually, you know, it's working with somebody. And I think what I've seen historically is that they have that honeymoon phase and then, you know, they might start displaying those behaviors. And then normally the care provider gives notice and that person then moves on and it kind of is an ongoing process, but actually bearing with somebody and actually how PBS can support somebody. And Giuseppe spoke about it earlier about kind of diet and a lot of it is to do with stimulation and giving that person meaningful activity as opposed to spend time in your room or watch TV or chill out time. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a whole process, isn't it? You need to look at their activities, look at what they're doing as well as the PBS. But yeah, no, I had so many questions to ask Giuseppe, we we'll would definitely have to get, it, get you back on. But if there's anybody that wants to know more information, how is the best way for them to contact you?
2: Um, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, um, you can find me on those. I don't really, I have Facebook, but I don't really use it actually. Uh, so linkedin and twitter are probably the best way to get in touch with me linkedin more than anything else because i used it quite a lot um but yeah please get in touch i'm very happy to continue the conversation and have, and have a, a chat obviously um so yeah i Brilliant. hope I well, it. as clear as possible and uh, obviously yes um i mean i, I believe in the potential widespread of pbs and trauma-informed care because uh honestly we need to move out of the medical model it's about time we move out of the medical model yeah i think trauma-informed
0: care is going to be a topic that um we touch upon um in future conversations that we have i think trauma-informed care is so important um if you know and it's it's about everything and I, i always think about abandonment and understanding what someone's been through throughout their life and how that affects them especially when it comes into dementia and we go into aggressive um mm. situations we've got to understand what informs a person what's created their path in life and what 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 is the foundation to their emotions so i'm, I'm a huge one on um uh, uh trauma informed care we'll make sure everyone gets your linkedin um profile link we'll uh, oh, yeah. include it in the uh, there it is thank
1: you. thank you yeah i've uh, t- I've just popped it in, um, and I know Connor has t- commented that it's a shame that he's missed most of this. You can watch it on um, playback, Connor, in a – I don't know how long it takes before they can watch it back from the beginning, do you, Adam? But they will be able to it. Uh, no, it, it should uh,
0: – I think it yeah, should been... go up pretty much straight after this. Um, and then, like I say, uh, tomorrow it will be uploaded onto our podcasting sites as well. So if you're on Spotify, Apple Music, um, Audible, any of those, um, you'll be able to access it via its podcast form. Um, so that is the show for this evening. It's been incredible. I've learned a lot, Giuseppe. We must have you back when we, we have our discussions around trauma-informed care. Um, next week is something that I'm really, sounds daft saying I'm excited for, um, but it's something I'm quite passionate about. It's Men's Mental Health Week next week. Um, and we're joined by um, two really, really esteemed guests. We've got Martin Dorge joining us and Simon Blake. Um, if anyone has got any uh, stories or anything that they want to mention around their own men's mental health um, ahead of next week's show, please do get in touch with us at thecaringview@gmail.com. Uh, you're more than welcome to rena- remain um, anonymous. If you want to, to you know, have your name attached to it, you're more than welcome to. I think we need to break down the stigma now of talking about our own mental health. I know I put a post up recently on LinkedIn about mine and I'll probably bring it up on next week's show as well, but we've got to be able to admit when we're struggling and we've got to be able to have those conversations moving forward. So please do join us for next week's men's mental health show. Um So I will just leave you with a good night. God bless. And good night, Mark. Good night, Giuseppe. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd like I say, catch up man. on YouTube and catch up on our podcasting sites. You're more than
1: welcome, Giuseppe. Thank, thank you very you. much. Good evening, all. Oh. Thank
2: you. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to The Caring View. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as various podcasting sites. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and share to become part of the conversation.